Welcome back to Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and true crime. I'm Trish, your bartender. And I'm Sloan, your crime tender. And today's case is kind of a local case for us. It's a... It, it happened in Mobile, right? No, no, no. Or, Midway. Midway. Okay. I was like, it, it's in Alabama, but yes. it's a very recent one. And this is the case of Lisa... The case of Lisa uh, Theris. Theris. We just literally looked this up. So sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We have been catching up on a lot of social media content, which meant recording a lot of shots and drinks back to back to back. It's fine. It's definitely. (laughs) This is definitely the Hot Mess Express. But also on that note, I just wanted to do like a quick catch up, a little chatty chat, because I really like whenever we do these. But uh, Netflix has recently released a show called The the Mole. The Mole. I was about to call it The Host. Oh, <laughs> the Mole. And I watched the whole series. I made Trish watch the second half with me today. And if you have watched this, I want to know whether you finished it or not. I want to know who do you think is The Mole? Because Trish, I as usual. I watched it for like, I think four episodes. Five. You watched five episodes. Five and I and was a like, And I was like. We got to the end. I'm like, it's this person. (laughs) And meanwhile, I'm like, if it's this person, I'm going to cry. But I think it's this person. But the reason that I thought that it was this one person was because of the first, like, two episodes. And Trish didn't watch those. So, like, maybe you would have thought differently if you'd seen those. I don't know. But typically, she sees straight through the bullshit on this stuff. (laughs) Like, with Mass Singer, they sing four notes. And she's like, oh, it's this person. And I'm like, go, go away. (laughs) Go away. Yeah. I co-sign. I co-sign on that, but go away. So, we, if you're watching this season, I, I think I know who. Like the first round, I'm pretty sure I know who. Um, the harp. Yes, the harp. I I'm pretty sure I know who the harp is. Like literally after the first like episode, I was like, that is Amber Riley. She was. She did. And as soon as she told me that, I was like, who the fuck is that? And I googled it. And as it popped up on Google, Trish was like, it's the girl from Glee. And I was like, holy fuck, this bitch is right. Again. Again. And then I told my husband, and he literally, like, he goes, oh, that's it. That's it. I knew I knew that voice. I just couldn't place it. So we are co-signing that the harp on the mass Singer is Amber Riley. I'm a couple of episodes behind as of right now. I think you're only one. One should have come out this past Thursday, too, which would make me two behind. Um, I don't know. Unless they took two weeks off in a row. But let us know what you think about The Mole. If you watch The Mass Singer, we would love to talk about that, too. And that is our TV roundup. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll kick you off to... Uh, drink? Yeah. yeah. The drink? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to another round of drinks with your bartender, Trish. And I know I forget exactly when we did it, but right when it came out, I got a beer 
called Unicorn Farts, which was a sour with edible glitter in it. Well, they're back again. Dewclaw Brewing Company has come back with Unicorn Farts After Dark. And it is a chocolate cinnamon crunch breakfast stout with gold glitter. Again, it's one of those ones that you do need to kind of shine a light or like record it in like good lighting to get the sparkle. But it looks very pretty when you do get it just right. Um, you definitely have to like stouts because it is a very heavy chocolate stout. You do get a little bit of cinnamon, but it's not like an overwhelming amount, I'll say. This is 8.5% alcohol by volume. And the little, like, thing on the can. So the pastryarchy is, like, also, I guess, who kind of collabed with this. They're known for, like, a lot of their big, like, stouts and stuff. Like, they always have some fun ones. But the little uh, inscription on the side of the can says, Glitter shines brighter in the dark. Giddy up for this French toast flavor frenzy. Complete with alluring notes of chocolate and spiced cinnamon. A beautifully dark take on the original Unicorn Farts collaboration between Duclaw Brewing Company and Diablo Donuts. Now brewed as a dessert stout with gold edible glitter. So, it is definitely... I like it. Sloan tried it. She goes, it's bitter. I'm like, but it's a stout. Yeah. <laughs> Well, she was like, I think this might, might, might be one that you like. And I took a sip and I was like, well, uh, no, no. Like that first quarter of a second. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> it is. If you go to the website for Duclaw and type and like look up Unicorn Farts After Dark, it does say the style is an Imperial Stout. I don't believe it says that on the can, but they do classify it as an Imperial Stout, which if you know anything about beers, that is usually a heavier um, stout. They say it's dark black, which if you when you see it, you will you will know <laughs> you will definitely agree with that. Um, hop variety is chin chinook, which I don't uh, doesn't mean a thing to me, but if anybody does know, there you go. And the grains they say are pilsner. Dark chocolate, biscuit, malted oats, raw wheat, car carol wheat, and midnight wheat. So, yeah. Like I said, it is definitely, you definitely have to like stouts, but if you are up to trying new beers and you can get this one, I highly recommend. Like I said, I like it. It's a good chocolatey flavor, and then you get that little bit of cinnamon. And then just in general, it's fun to look at the the glitter if you get in the right lighting so give it a shot let us know what you think if you have any other fun beers i'm always down to try something preferably not ipas but i have been surprised by a few but i'm mainly a sour wheat beer or stout or porters so let us know and with that being said, we'll kick you off to the episode. In 2017, Lisa Theris was a 25-year-old from Louisville, Alabama. 
And I know that it can be Louisville or Louisville. I didn't know there was a Louisville. In Mississippi, it's Louisville. So I'm going to assume that in the South, <laughs> it's Louisville. Right. I'm like, or, well, Louisville or Louisville. Because, I mean, that's why I said Kentucky is Louisville. That's why I said Louisville or Louisville. I know it's pronounced both ways. Yeah. But, anyways, we're in Alabama. <laughs> And Lisa was a radiology student at Wallace Community College in Eufaula, Alabama. Lisa was known for being a bit unpredictable as she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And from what I could tell, she was not, like, medicated or actively seeking seeking treatment. And this is not to say that everybody with bipolar order is unpredictable or anything like that. This is just what her family and friends recognized as her tendency. After none of her family members could reach her for five days, Lisa's father called the police on July 23, 2017 to report his daughter missing. He feared the worst because, well, Lisa didn't exactly keep the best company. A missing persons case was opened and local police began to search in obvious spots but found nothing. Two days after the search began, a local Walmart reported seeing her in the store, but they could not produce video footage proving that it was her. So the police kept on searching, assuming that this was a false alarm. At this point, everyone's concern was growing more and more, especially when police learned that Lisa was last seen with two local men, 31-year-old Manly Davis and 36-year-old Randy Oswald. These two were already well known to the police. They were actually looking for the two men in connection with a robbery at a local hunting hunting lodge nearby. Which, in a shocking turn of events, actually belonged to Randy's father, George Oswald. Who, let's just say, he's not a big fan of his son. He's quoted to say, um, I'm extremely pissed with my son. He's embarrassed my name. He's stolen from my good friends. And he's got a lot of questions to answer. So, even though, yes, this was his father's lounge, it doesn't seem like his father was coming to his rescue anytime soon. It just was an easy target for the two men. They knew where it was located. They knew nobody was going to be there. An easy target. When police finally caught up with Manly and Randy, they claimed that Lisa was in fact with them the night of the robbery. Other than that, their stories were completely different. One claimed Lisa had jumped out of the truck before they ran into the lodge gates, and the other said his partner killed her and then dumped the body. Brandy told the authorities that Davis had shot the girl in the head, placed her body in the garbage bag, and tossed it into the creek. However, police obviously searched the creek for the body, and they found nothing. The police said, These men were so geeked out that they started blaming each other for a murder that didn't even happen. Okay. But at the current point where we're at and with the information that they had, the police believed that Lisa was dead and they began a body search, bringing in cadaver dogs. At this point, it had been almost a month since Lisa was last seen by anyone, including her family, and everyone feared the worst. 28 days after Lisa disappeared, 
On August 12, 2017, Judy Garner was driving down one of the local roads when a woman stumbled out of the trees and collapsed onto the road. It was Lisa Theris. She had heard what sounded like traffic for two days and kept going in different directions until she finally stumbled upon the highway on that Saturday and crawled up the side of the road where Judy stopped for her. Judy called 911, gave Lisa a shirt and boxer shorts to wear, and stayed by her side until help arrived. When Judy asked Lisa what happened to her clothes, Lisa said she went to sleep with them on, but when she woke up, they weren't on her, but she didn't have any idea of what had happened. So Judy automatically kind of assumed that maybe Lisa was drugged at some point, and that's exactly what she told the authorities. But also, with it being 28 days after she might have been drugged, those drugs would have been out of her system. So yeah. testing her was kind of pointless. An ambulance arrived on scene, and Lisa was taken to the hospital, weighing 50 pounds less than when she first went missing. And we'll have pictures of her on our social media, but she is a small girl. Before she went missing, she was a Hooters waitress. So, like... Yeah. Now, losing 50 pounds. I mean, for me, I would look sickly. But, like, if I would lose, like, a little bit, I'd be like, all right, this is bad. I have weighed everywhere from 270 pounds to, like, 160 pounds in a very recent memory. Yes. If you're here from my other Instagram account, then you already know this about me. But I went on a pretty extreme weight loss journey where I lost 100 pounds in a year. But all of that to say, like, right now I'm currently sitting at a happy middle. So if I was to lose another 50 pounds, I would be at what the BMI says should be my weight. And to me, I looked sickly yeah. at that point. Trish knows me. She's known me through this whole trip from the what heaviest to the lowest into now. So she can back me up. Like, I just looked hollowed out. And I was full of muscle, but I just, I looked sick at what is the highest end of my BMI weight. So all of that being said, if I lost 50 pounds right now, that would put me back where I was then. And I would look sick, but this girl kind of already started out in a quote unquote healthy BMI range. Yeah. And then she lost 50 pounds. So, you know, <laughs> she was... She was probably, when when she stumbled out onto that road, I could only imagine what these people thought. Mm-hmm. So you see, like, a girl that basically is, like, skeletal looking. And this is something that you're hearing this story and you're like, oh, this could never happen. This would never happen to me. This would never happen now and nowadays. This was in 2017. At the point of this recording, this happened about five and a half years ago. Yeah. Nate and I had just moved to Mobile, Alabama. Like, we moved here. He moved here in February, March of that year. I moved here a month after him. So, like, for me, this is a very, like, mile marker year. It's not that long ago. <laughs> My brother was just graduating high school. <laughs> well, he didn't graduate. My brother was supposed to be a senior in high school oh, this gosh. year. Not that long ago. 
But like I said, she was way, she was 50 pounds less than when she first went missing. She was completely naked, covered in poison ivy, mar- like rashes, insect bites, cuts, and sunburns. Because remember, this is July slash August, Alabama. Yeah, she's lucky she wasn't in Florida. She would be fighting off some gators. And that's something that she said. She was like, I'm just glad that I didn't run into any coyotes. Any rattlesnakes. Yeah. Any, like, we have a lot of different mount, uh, wildlife here in Alabama. With grizzly bears. <laughs> mountain lions. All sorts of things. So she really was lucky to survive. By me being the white woman. Kitty! You're kitty kitty. <laughs> that's how I meet my end. <laughs> hey, if that's how we go, that's how we go. That's how we go. But a lot of people were suspicious of this because how did she survive on her own in the woods in Alabama in the southern heat for 28 days? I mean. But when she came out, she was barely alive and she probably would not have lasted another day or two based on professionals' opinions. We're all surprised she lasted as long as she did. So, Lisa comes out of the woods with one thing that I thought was kind of neat. She had made a staff to help her walk through her entire time in the woods. When she was rescued, she thought that it was left behind, but thankfully, a deputy put it in his car and brought it to her. I'm sure that this was a like comforting gesture for her because I cannot even imagine, begin to imagine the trauma that she faced when she was rescued. Like you just survived in the woods for almost 30 days. And I don't even want to be in the woods without proper um, equipment and water and all this other stuff for 30 minutes. Like, please don't send me out in the wild without a, a glamping style situation waiting for me. But that's me personally. I'm not a camper. I'm a glamper. After Lisa recovered, she finally told her story. Lisa claimed she was drugged and left naked in the middle of the woods. She says she survived in the woods by eating mushrooms and berries and drinking muddy stream water. But like I said, there are many that did not believe her story. Lisa told the news, I just did what I could. I just knew that when I was thirsty, I had to drink, no matter if the water was dirty or what. I had to get as much of it as possible. Sometimes it would even make me very sick. I thank God for the berries. There were always pretty much berries. Lisa hobbled through the vast wilderness barefoot for 25 days with the help of a staff she made from the roots of a tree as she searched for the signs of civilization. She said, You can't imagine how large of an area it was. I couldn't believe it. I kept thinking I, could f- I would find a person or a house, even if it was empty, but there was nothing. Nothing but nature. That's it. I mean, unless you know how to, like, follow, like, the different indicators that, like, nature kind of gives you as to, like, which ways to, like, head. You gotta figure, you're just walking in blind circles because you're like, all right, I've been going this way way for a while. Hungry and thirsty. Yeah. You're walking in circles. You're sitting there going, okay, I've been going this way for a while. I'm probably not... Let me just kind of veer this way a little bit. Next thing you know, you're heading 
basically back towards where you just came mm-hmm. from. Yes. And, like, just on that note, I live on a park. Like, my apartments are over right next to a local park. It has a disc golf course. And I walk my dogs there. I used to walk them every single day. And for the first, like, six months that I lived here, I would get lost on the trails. Like, there are now markers. The Boy Scouts went through and put markers everywhere and maps everywhere. But, like, if yeah, you don't... me lose the adventures. <laughs> exactly. It was an adventure. Like, I knew that I could find my way if I would just end up where civilization was. But once you got back into the backwoods of everything, you could easily get lost. And it was kind of the fun of it all. But also, sometimes it was a little scary because I do have a rescue dog and he's yeah. very reactive. And so, if I had people coming from both ways... Now I know all of the courses. Now I know how to like go around people whenever I see them. But that was me on like somewhat carved out marked trails. If you put me in the middle of the woods and expected me to survive, I'd lay down and die. I would beg for the pretty kitty cat to come (laughs) find me. (laughs) Or the grizzly bear. I'm good with bears. I'm really good with bears. (laughs) Send me a bear. (laughs) Uh, just make it quick (laughs) please (laughs) but regardless if people doubted her or not Lisa did seem to be in the condition of someone who was stranded for a month in the woods the berries but like I said people doubted her because the berries she claimed to have found to eat they weren't known to grow in the area and that's kind of here or there things can randomly grow I know on one of the trails that I found with the boys, I found huckleberries growing on vines around here. And those are native to this area. But it's just to say, maybe she identified the berry wrong because I thought it was a blackberry and it's a huckleberry. And also, mushrooms are very tricky. Because if you pick the wrong one, you could likely die from poison. Yeah. But what she said that she did was she avoided the colorful mushrooms because that was what she was taught growing up in a rural Alabama area. And that's something that you do learn growing up in those areas is what to use and what not to use if you're foraging. But she said that that's kind of what how she knew what mushrooms to eat and what not to eat. But also, Lisa is legally blind without her glasses, which she did not have in the woods. So a lot of people feel like it was very suspicious that she was able to forage and find food and water to sustain her. But coming from two different four-eyed freaks, if it came to survival, I would crawl on my hands and knees. Yeah, like, I my vision is negative, like, 5.5 in each eye. I'm lucky that they, like, match up. There's, like, maybe a point, like, a millis, like, Mm -hmm. mere, like, a point difference in them. But, like, so, if that means nothing to you, basically, if I don't have my contacts in, unless you're standing, basically, right in my face, you look like a blurry blob. Mm -hmm. But if, if I have my contacts out long enough, I adapt learn to adapt and I can be like all right that's this that's that Mm -hmm. and that's the thing is that as a human you learn to adapt so even if you don't have your sight 
The thing that a lot of people without all of their senses tend to agree on is that your other senses build up to make up for that lost sense. So people doubting her just because she was legally blind means nothing to me. Yeah. If anything, it makes her recovery even more miraculous because she was able to find the road. <laughs> like, if I, I already said that if it was me, I would have lied down and died. But just saying as somebody that was blind and somebody that is stubborn, you make do. You do what you have to to survive. And that was what she said. She said that she kept envisioning her family and was like, I need to make it out for them. And whenever you have your why so strong like that in front of you, you do whatever it takes to survive. So, yeah, she might not have been able to see three feet in front of her, but she could see three inches in front of her. And that's what you need to see to find food and water. Yeah. And your hearing will help you find the water. The muddy rivers. <clears throat> Another source claims that Lisa was getting into heavy drugs before her disappearance. And this is something that's very common with people with mental health issues that they don't seek treatment for. So this is definitely possible. Some speculate from that that Lisa was with Manly and Randy when they went to rob the hunting lounge. The three were on meth together when either Lisa ran away into the woods because she didn't want to be involved in the robbery. Or she was there for the robbery and one of the men killed her to keep, like, quote, they yeah. believed that they killed her because they were all on meth. Or at least the two men were. They believed that one of them killed her and maybe that was to silence her because of their crime. So, the other theory is that Lisa was along for the whole thing. Like I said, they wanted to silence her. And that just all comes down to the drugs, man. The drugs. <laughs> I am not somebody to talk about <laughs> recreational drugs. I like, I have, I've never partaken. But when it's meth, maybe be a little careful. So... Bullock County Sheriff Raymond Rogers told the news they were so geeked out that they started blaming each other for a murder that did not happen. They were as relieved as we were when Lisa stumbled out of those woods. <laughs> they actually thought that they had killed her. Oh my god. Like they legitimately had convinced themselves that one or the other had killed her. The sheriff said, me personally, I think she was also on meth and that she was hallucinating and she just got lost in the woods. So that's very possible because remember, Judy said she did not remember her clothes coming off. She remembers going to sleep and waking up with them off. And that could be because she was on meth. And that could be because one of the men sexually assaulted her and like just left her yeah. there. The truth has not come out yet. Lisa claims that the first story is true. Not necessarily that she was on meth, but her escape. She told the police that she jumped out of the truck as they pulled up to the metal gates of the hunting lounge and took off into the woods because she didn't want to be a part of it. Police working on the case contend that the 25-year-old Lisa was disoriented and suffering from hallucinations brought on by taking meth. This could very well explain why Lisa never found her way out of the woods, despite reportedly never being more than a mile away from the nearest road. So the police think she was on meth and that she was hallucinating and just like literally could not follow the sounds of traffic 
a mile away. And she was probably so under the influence of the drugs that she stripped her clothes off. And she just didn't know where she was whenever she came to. Okay. So, as far as I can tell, this is still an ongoing case. And Lisa has pretty much fallen off the face of the earth as far as social media goes. I looked up her Instagram and, like, literally on the last post, there were several comments being like, oh, did you get lost in the woods again because you haven't updated your Instagram in over a year? And that's the type of bullshit that people deal with on social media. So I don't blame her for not being on social media. I don't think she owes the world a damn thing. But I also think that the reason that we don't have, like, a conclusion to this case is because the pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. Like, by the time that they would have gotten the court case moving on this, the pandemic would have started hitting. So hopefully we will have more concrete answers about this case in the near future. I do have Google alerts set for it. So if we hear of anything, I will let y'all know. Like I said, this all happened as Nate and I were moving to Mobile. Trish already lived down here. I did not hear a single thing about any of this. She had not heard anything about any of this. And it's just a fucking crazy case. Like I have. I just don't remember it. Yeah. It's just freaking wild. I cannot imagine surviving in the woods for 28 days. Which is why a lot of people doubt her story. But... I th- I mean I feel like you everything do what you have to. And I feel like everything adds up on her part. Like she wouldn't have just lost the 50 pounds, you know, in a month on nothing. I I don't know. I'm likely to believe her. I do think the two men are involved. I would love to hear y'all's opinion. And without further ado, we will kick you off to the last call. For today's last call, With the rise of the Jeffrey Dahmer documentary and then just a bunch of other stuff. There's different talks of serial killers popping up. Like, I know there's one that was supposedly caught in, like, California. Um, (laughs) Sloan's doing stuff on her phone. Um, (laughs) But there's also um, supposedly one... like possibly involving uh, a case I've been looking into with the um, woman who escaped a man's house when he went to pick up his child from school. Like, mm-hmm. there's that. There's they're saying that he could possibly be a serial killer because people have been reporting women of color missing from mm-hmm. that same area and like last place they were solved were on like the same street and that so yeah like I said that's something I'm looking into but I figured I would talk about some of the common signs of serial killers and if you know true crime this probably is not that interesting to you but if you're a baby crime tender or crime junkie whatever um, you might not know these or like it's something like you just haven't pieced together like oh yeah that that really is kind of common in all these mm-hmm. well-known serial killers so this list is from 2020 like said, they don't really um update it too much they kind of change 
wording of it really, but it's all usually the same stuff. So the first one they list is lack of empathy. It says one of the most common traits of serial killers is lack of emotional depth. Um, and they kind of note like Jeffrey Dahmer when he was like talking like it's very flat. There's no showing of emotion or anything like that. It's just like, yeah, this is what happened. Just I did let, this. Just let me take a picture. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. oh. But yeah, like, it's just... It is possible for, like, serial killers to show empathy, but, like, when they're talking about, like, their crimes or stuff, or just in general, like, they just don't really show that much emotion. Another one is lack of remorse. This goes hand in hand with, like, lack of empathy. Once again, a serial killer will rarely feel remorse for their crimes. If they did, they would have earned themselves the, um, serial prefix is what it says. Um, many serial killers have vocally opposed this trait. With some claiming that they'd learned to feel remorse after a significant time had passed. I think that's just because they're literally, they got caught. And they're just, basically you have to sit there and like relive what you did. And you either get joy out of it or you're like, oh man, I did that. But yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Um, and, like, one of the ones that they they have is there's, like, some exceptions, such as Dahmer claiming I should be dead for what I've done. Because, as we know, Dahmer really wanted to be executed, but he was not. He was given a life imprisonment. Mm-hmm. Number three on the list is impulsiveness. This one is both a yes and a no, but it is present in a majority of serial killers. Um, many killers over the years have said, I wanted to stop, but I couldn't. So, I mean, for a lot of them, it's like, they just kind of keep going to get that fix. So it's like... Yes, there's an M.O. and how they do it, but, like, sometimes you're, like, they don't get caught for so long because there's no rhyme or reason. It's just an impulse to kill somebody. Uh, number four, it says, grand grandosity. Basically, uh, serial killers wanting to, like, boast th about their, like, accomplishments so, like, they bring up, like, Jack the Ripper, Zodiac Killer, BTK, how they all, like, kind of taunted police and press about, like, what they were doing. Or even, like, the Long Island serial killer who called families of the victims and that. So, it's like, you want recognition, but you also want to kind of stay anonymous so you can keep going. 
The fifth trait is narcissism. Um, it goes hand in hand with the other one where, you know, they like <laughs> want to boast about it and everything, but also you kind of want that little and like anonymity, but like also if you know a narcissistic cystic person you know what I'm talking about it's like they want the attention but also it's it's never them mm -hmm. what are you talking about so yeah number six is superficial charm and like somebody that pops to my head right away is Ted Bundy yep he was all full of charm you had how many people that like we're like he couldn't he couldn't be a killer he's too handsome he killed people mm -hmm. <laughs> um one that they mention is uh R rodney akala who is the dating show killer mm -hmm. yeah like yeah he is another one that definitely pops into mind but yeah just someone that comes off super charming and like you would never suspect them uh number seven manipulation um it says this same charm is just another manipulate manipulation tactic for serial killers once they have gained the victim's trust it's much it makes it easier for them to manipulate their potential victims into vulnerable situations that they might not have allowed themselves to be drawn into in a normal circumstance. So, I know, definitely seen that in a lot of just killers in general. Number eight, addictive personality. So, addiction is defined as the repetition of a behavior despite its harmful consequences. While addiction in today's world might relate more to, like, smartphones, social media, stuff like that. Um, it's also an act of serial killing. Um, a large majority of the population possesses addictive personalities. Um, but if you combine that with, like, basically your lack of empathy and narcissism, it just kind of becomes a deadly little combo. Mm -hmm. Number nine is the McDonald triad or, like, animal cruelty, which is, if you don't know what the triad is, that is, that stems back to basically, like, your childhood. If someone as a child you know basically did like suffer from bedwetting they had like an interest in like fire starting and like abuse towards animals that's what they consider like kind of the triad and that just basically is like a early little detection that uh you might be raising a serial killer 
Honestly, I've always been worried my youngest brother is a serial killer. Oh, God. <laughs> We're getting into some family trauma now. Oh, God. <laughs> He's got two of the tree for the triad. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, But ones that we've apparently seen this in are Jeffrey Dahmer, Ed Kemper, John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy. So, like, it says, like, um, animal cruelty was like a staple of their childhood and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's we all know that usually once you hear like as a child they like abused animals or stuff like that, you're just like, oh, well, there we go. Should have been a dead giveaway. Number 10 says lust for power. So, basically, many serial killers desire power and dominance, either because it provides a sexual thrill or because of, like, the lack of attributes in other areas of their life. So, if you're not feeling, like, for most of these killers, like, they basically feel like in their own life they don't have control so if you can like take that control and like use it to kill somebody you're gonna it's gonna be like a power trip you're gonna be like oh i like to how that felt and instead of like changing your your normal life they start going around and doing what they shouldn't and the last trait that it has listed is sensation seeking which feel like it's it's covered in a lot of the other traits that it says and it's, it's basically what i've said you just want like that notoriety you want the attention but also you don't want to get caught because if you get caught that no like the attention goes away so like i said most of these if you're in the true crime community, you've been in it for a while, these are nothing new to you. But I figured I would go ahead and do this as a last call because I think it also stands as a good reminder for you, for like anybody, because yes, we all know this, but if you're hearing it out loud, <laughs> you you can possibly start looking at the people in your life that you, you feel a little uh, iffy about, and then you're like, oh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be around these people. Maybe I should keep my distance and keep an eye. I keep my circle real small, and I got an eye on all you bitches. <laughs> right? Mostly to keep you safe. That's like at work the other day, we had one of my, I, I part-time manage, but I also mostly like bartend and serve. And so the other day, one of my girls was running late and I was managing and I like pulled up my phone and I pulled up the little location, find my <laughs> friends, find my friends. And I was like, oh, look, she's at the red light, like literally two red lights down from here. She'll be here soon. Like she's just stuck at this red light. And my manager goes, how do you know that? And I was like, I have her location. It's right here. And he goes, you have her what? And I was like, I have her location. Like I can track her right here on my phone. And he goes, do you do that with everybody? And I was like, I mean, I have all of my girls. Like, I have Trisha's location. We have Logan's location. We have Crystal. I will legit, like, like, 
<laughs> sit there and track like on Fridays. Um, Logan, sometimes she stays in town. Sometimes she goes um, about like, I don't know, 40, it's like 45 minutes mm. to an hour like to her, her boyfriend's. Boyfriend. And I'll be like, oh, Logan didn't tell me if she's going. So, I'll like, I'll look at the time and I'll be like, she's off work. I pull up her location. I'm like, all right, she's down by the interstate. I guess she's going out of town this weekend. <laughs> Which funny story that nobody asked for. But last week I was hanging out <laughs> at Logan's house. At, which, at and Logan Logan's. and Trisha's house. And I was parked in Trisha's spot. And so I set a reminder. I was like, hey, let me know whenever Trish leaves, leaves her spot. And I get a notification that Sloan has set a tracker on me to see when I would leave work. And I'm like, are you tracking me? <laughs> Just so I could move my car. Just so I could move my car out of her spot. And Logan goes, I didn't know you could do that. And I was like, yeah, you could do that. So, you know, whenever you tell me, text me whenever you get home so I know you're safe. Instead of waiting for me to text you, you could say, let me know when Sloan makes it home safe. And then my phone will do it for you. And she goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, yeah. See, if I was the crazy best friend, I would track you to and from your boyfriend's house just to make sure. Only because... Like, where we live and where her boyfriend lives, you have to cross the Mobile Bay Bridge. And if you go to Pen Pensacola, Destin, like, anywhere from there, from, like, a lot of the a lot of the places up from here, you probably go through the Mobile Tunnel. And if you go through the Mobile Tunnel, then you go over the Bay Br Bridge that I'm talking about. And this bridge, it's absolutely safe, but there are dumb fucks that drive on it all the time. And Granted, if you go into the water, it's low enough that, like, they always <laughs> tell you, like, there's, like, little cruises and that will mm -hmm. go through there. And they're, they're like, if you fall out, you know, just stand up and run back before a gator gets you. Pretty much, yes. But it's just, it's one of those bridges, like, once you're on it, you definitely can't really get off. Yeah, there's not a there's whole There's no lot of... exit. Like, yes, there's little exits off, but, like, there's a stretch that you go and you're just stuck. And so whenever there are wrecks and things on there, like, it's very concerning. And mostly our concern is during tourism se season, the yes. summer, because people get really dumb on that bridge during that time. So, like, right now I'm not as stressed. Whenever she first started going over there during summer, like, Friday nights during high traffic tourism season, I was like, <gasps> did she make it okay? Is she off the interstate? Like, that's all I care about. Like, as long as she's there. I have to go to Ohio for my nephew's wedding here oh, in travels. like a week. Like we have, st we're we're recorded, so like you're not gonna miss any content. But like at the time of recording this, in like a week or two, I have to go to Ohio, and I know that her and Logan are gonna be like checking, like where is she at? Is she in Ohio? Because, like, Just yes, I'll be sure. like, I'll be like, yeah, I made it here. And I try to, like, send text, like, made it to Nashville, made it, like, here. But that's why it's better for us to just have the location. So whenever we think, oh, how is Trish doing? We can check and, like, see her moving. My husband checks my car. I check my, <laughs> I check my girl's phone locations. Yep. 
I literally, there's this one girl, Amanda, I don't know if you're listening to this episode or not, but I have one friend and we are literally true crime friends. We are work co-workers. We used to be work co-workers, but more like first and foremost, true crime friends. We literally share each other's locations just in case one of us goes missing. We can be like, well, this is where her phone is. <laughs> this is where the phone is. But we got off on a horrible tangent there. Yeah, it's not horrible. <laughs> it just means that. Just a long one. Maybe you guys, if you're not, definitely share your location with a someone. Couple of, a handful of trustworthy people. Yes, a handful. Because as we learned from the mole, you can't trust one person. <laughs> You need to trust a group of people. The Sagittarius in me was like, this person's sus. I don't fucking trust them. <laughs> they were all sus. They were all sus. They were, but she was, she was real. Uh... Yes. But thank you for listening today. Thanks for hanging out with us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you are not already, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you can get all of our episodes. You can also follow us on our social media accounts. We have Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. They are all tequila she wrote across the board. If you have any cocktail recipes, any liquors, beers, wines, or crace, crace, <laughs> case recommendations, you can send those to tequila she wrote at gmail.com. We also have our Patreon set up for as little as $2 a month. We do have ad-free episodes over there. And then if you sign up for some of our other tiers, we have even more content to find us there. Easiest way is go to patreon.com backslash tequila she wrote. Or you can go to our link tree and kind of click on that. Should give you a direct link to Patreon. Another thing I want to bring up real quick. We've also been wondering if you all want us to stick with Patreon or maybe if you have suggestions on somewhere else to possibly do bonus content for you. I know Spotify op offers the option, but I know not everybody listens on Spotify. Uh, just... I know there's like Wonderly and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So if there's a somewhere that you're maybe listening to other podcasts like bonus stuff on that you think maybe we should try out, let us know. And we're all ears. Yeah. Thanks for riding on the Hot Mess Express today. Toot toot. Beep beep. <laughs>